This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. I'm prepared to stay. I'm prepared to stay on, and I'm hoping that there will be a resolution and that uh, I'll be teaching class in the near future, like Kuna Day. The reasons I'm prepared to stay are that in the first place, this is the job I wasn't lawfully given. I'm entitled to be here. I applied by open competition for the position of principal teacher of business when it was advertised in the papers. I was selected by a board of interviewees. I was the first choice of the members of that board. And uh, I presented them with my letter of application, my qualifications and inspector's reports. They knew of my years and experience as a teacher. And uh, I have every right to be here. I presented my work for on-the-spot checks by department officials at regular intervals. I feel entitled uh, to my wages. I'm given the job and uh, nobody has any right to get rid of me. I'm entitled to be paid here. I should be teaching. I'm willing to teach. I'm in every day to teach if anyone is sent in to me. I'm prepared to do it. It's what I want to do. It's not my fault that there are no children in the class. It's certainly is significant that... Uh, all of the parents in an area would be willing to band together and would be willing to take such a strong stand as keeping their, teach, their pupils away from school, employing a teacher for a period of time until the Department of Education employs somebody else in the interim uh, while the dispute is, is still in progress. That is a very significant step. I think it's one that, that has to be looked upon and one that, uh, that certainly um, would suggest that people feel very, very, very strongly uh, uh, about something or other. Martino Cahan of Radio Nagelthuchta, who has reported since the beginning on the remarkable situation in Recess National School in Connemara. At present, there are three teachers in a two-teacher school. One of the teachers, the principal, Breedney Gonal, sits in an empty classroom every day because the parents in the area refuse to allow her to teach their children. In fact, up to this year, they paid a private teacher rather than avail of the free teacher provided by the Department of Education in the person of Breedney Gonal. From the outset, the whole dispute involved drama, passions and so many fundamental issues. The rights of a teacher, the rights of parents, the rights of children to an education, the Irish language and the role of the clergy in a rural community. There was, from the very beginning, no agreement on even what the row was about. Well, when I came into the diocese and uh, took a look at the recess controversy, it seemed to me to be like a mosaic gone wrong or, or, or a fisherman's tangle. But there were two discernible strands, at least. One was the liturgical and the other the educational. One was about the mass and the other was about the school. So I decided to try and tackle the liturgical one first because I have direct responsibility for that. So with the cooperation of the clergy in the parish, I sent a priest specially to the parish, not to a neighbouring parish, as has been said, but specially to the parish, to uh, provide a Mass in Irish and to provide a full pastoral service in Irish. And I did that because I believe in it. I, I believe in it strongly. I wanted to give the people a choice.
I wanted to make the Mass available to the Gaelic-speaking population and I wanted to be as supportive as possible of our Gaelic language and culture. Now, that was the liturgical issue out of the way, but it wasn't the main issue, it seems to me. It has never been the main issue. The main issue is educational and it's between the parents and the teacher. And I found it a, a sad situation, really, Sad for the parents because they were locked into controversy. Sad for the children because they were growing up in the shadow of controversy. Sad for the other teachers because inevitably they were affected by the tension. And very sad altogether for the principal who found herself and still finds herself uh, in the school on her own in an empty classroom. And a classroom should be a place of a place of learning, instead of a place of isolation. So it was very sad for them all. Breedney Gonald claimed that it was because she criticised the local priest who wouldn't or couldn't say Mass in Irish in Bonnegroch. Indeed, in a letter to her in July 1986, the school manager referred, and I quote, to her interference in the liturgical affairs of the parish and the consequent discussion among a group of parishioners in the question of the Mass in Dera because of the bad example thereby given to the pupils of recess school and of the majority of the parishioners I shall request the department to terminate your principalship of recess national school if there's any further statements given by you on the above matters to the press, radio or TV, unquote. The parents and the curate in question, Father O'Gorman, said that it had nothing to do with the Mass. It was all to do with their view of her as a teacher. Passions were running very high on a Liveline programme in January 87. Well, since my child left the school and went to another school, which I, she had to leave home at the age of 10 and stay with her grandparents. And I feel now my child is getting an education, so I have now proved to myself that it was lack of education by the teacher. Do, now, another can I, can I, I have to cut across you there because, I mean, that is I'm an sorry, opinion. But I think that uh, we should get time. We were promised this time on, 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 uh, by a phone call this morning. Yes, of course I'm going to give you time and of course you're going to get your point of view. But you cannot question the competence of a teacher well, on the public airwaves. I'm not questioning it. I have to say to you that you cannot make allegations about somebody's competence on the airwaves without evidence. There is absolutely no evidence to substantiate that and we, we can't evidence. well if, if you have evidence that's fine show evidence but there is no way that we can allow allegations recess itself is a, a small rural parish not really even a parish um, the recess area is in the roundstone parish uh, which comprises um, the areas of cashel recess and roundstone recess itself um, is an area uh, comprising a great deal of um, mountain and uh, mountain land um, made up of um, a good number of um, small farmers, small uh, even by West of Ireland standards, and that the farms are very small in um, Connemara. And you would have quite a number of people there who would be into sheep farming uh, on the mountains, they live at the foot of the Twelve Bends. Um, it's on the main Galway Clifton Road. It's about 37 miles from Galway. It's a very scenic area, but it's also an area which has been hard hit economically. And there's not very much, there's no industry really there at the moment, apart from a few individuals uh, who do their best to... Um, uh, operate uh, very uh, limited as regards the uh, workforce anyhow um, craft operations and that sort of thing so recess is um, if one would use the terminology a run-off-the-mill small rural area with um, a shop 
two pubs, a guard station with one guard there. Um, the doctor comes once or twice a week. There's um, a local health centre, that kind of thing. Um, and uh, it's certainly an area which I think uh, w would feel threatened uh, in the 1980s. And the population has been dwindling there, as it has been in many West of Ireland rural areas. I feel sorry for her, the way, she, the way they're acting with her. They're, she's respectable and she's a good, good teacher. And she leaves here in the morning very early on her bicycle down to recess and looks after her work in the... In her, in her class there without any scholars there. there she's in an empty classroom. It's on the borderline between the Galta, that is the English-speaking um, area of Connemara, and the Irish-speaking area. And some part of it is officially designated as Gaeltad, as per the Act of the 1950s. Um, so the Gaeltad, the dividing line between the Gaeltad and the Galtad, that is the English and Irish-speaking areas, would intertwine in all sorts of ways through townlands, that kind of thing. A house, one house um, would be outside of the Gaeltad, another house, 20 yards possibly, would be inside the Gaeltad. But I think the main Gaeltad area there is Bunnacrook, that is the area right beneath the 12 pins, uh, the Bunnacrook area where Brigny actually lives. We're here in Bunnacrook. Across from us we have the, um, the 12 pins, 12 bins or Banabiola, still with traces of snow stuck in, in the fissures of the rock, high in the crevices of the hill. Uh, that's a very unique mountain range, very distinctive, very beautiful, well-known to all visitors in Connemara and seen for, for many miles all around in the Connemara hinterland. To the north, we have the Mount Turk range, rounded, more rounded and smooth in, in outline, but indeed very stately. And one might say of that mountain range, as Kavanagh said, that Lot's wife would not be salt if she had remained as steadfast as my hills that face eternally north towards in this case, we have flat bogland and mountain across from us and indeed it's, it's an area, landscape of hill and lake and bogland. Very beautiful, typical Connemara scenery, uh, remote and wild and unspoilt in its natural beauty. Uh, just now I'm, I'm ready to go to school. I have my bicycle rigged up and I'm ready to go the downhill drive towards Rosses to be in there to open up and be in ahead of the children and the, the other teachers. I'm there to do, to do my duties, to do my work for my country. At, at the moment, my, my duty to my country is to defend the rights of the people of this country in their own location, in their own place of work. Everyone has the right to be at one's lawful place of work. Everyone has the, the right to justice, to truth, to freedom and to live free from harassment. And indeed, I'm defending teachers and any worker from unfair dismissal. So I'm there to take my position in the school as principal teacher there and carry out my duties during the day, mark the role, 
um, register the number of children that are present in school while the, the assistant teachers will mark the role in their classrooms. I, I register the number present, supervise the children during the day, uh, give them general instructions if necessary and perform any duties that that's possible. But for the main part of the day, I'll be in an empty classroom. Nevertheless, it's a fine day and that's what I have to do. She's here now about eight, eight, nine years. Got on very well with her. Um, I often talked to her and everything and found, found her very good now. I couldn't find anything wrong with her at all. Um, she uh, she seems to have a bit of trouble up in the school now at the moment, but she seems to be singled out, you know, which isn't right, and you know, it's not right at all. <coughs> Even um, people that uh, hadn't any children going to the school, they wouldn't even look at her, let alone talk to her. And that's a fact, you know. They wouldn't. You notice them around the place, like. And the fellow says, uh, when they live in the place, you you know people and. But by God, they sure changed over this. Did they singled her out anyway? But, um, I think God is on her side, and she'll she'll pull through it all right. <laughs> when the tough gets going, when the going gets tough, the tough get going. <laughs> typical national school teacher, Breed Nigonal is not it. Her view of the world is fixed. Right and wrong are very clear to her. To her enemies, she's an Irish language fanatic. To her admirers, she's a strong, determined woman defending a principle. To former colleagues in Carysford, where she trained to be a teacher, she was described to me as something of an anachronism at that time. I grew up at the foot of the reek. It was reared on a 10-acre farm on the shores of Clue Bay. And I must say that I have very happy memories of childhood and of my parents and family and all the, the good neighbours in the locality. It was a great place and I got a great start early in life, that's for certain. It's grand to recall young days there, uh, going in and out with my father round about the land. And a very happy man he was to be with, both for us children and for the people who knew him. <coughs> I remember being with him when he was bringing cats to turf home from the bog and he'd sing. He was, he was a very good singer and a flute player. And uh, those two things were important to him. There was a lot of music in the area. There was great friendliness among the people, a great sense of sharing. They shared the black pudding, the homemade black pudding that they made. They kept pigs when, when I was small and going to school. They don't any longer. They shared the homemade black pudding with each other and the brown cake at Christmas. The Beestons, if you know how that is, this fresh milk when the cow calves. And, of course, uh, all, all the, the special treats that they had. Uh, you may say they, they shared life, they shared their joys and sorrows. They talked together across the ditches and at the gates and after mess. And the women came in and talked and the men were out working in the fields and everyone knew everybody else, wished everyone well and helped one another along. There was a helping hand and everyone pushed the barrow for somebody else as far as they could. They, they worked together, shared work, the reeking of hay, uh, shared work at, at turf, working at turf in the bog, filling trailers at turf maybe or something of that sort. When uh, haymaking was going on, help was always needed, especially at the Reekin. 
silage wasn't in use in those days. So they worked together, they danced together, they went to mass together. They had plenty of enjoyment, got plenty of enjoyment out of life. There was great happiness, a great sense of, of the enjoyment that could be got from life. It's grand to recall it, and I, I think very much of the music that was in the area. I remember on, on sunny Sundays, Sundays after the dinner, between between 3 o'clock and, and the due time of the evening at 6 and 7, out around about the house, we used to hear two Melodian players who lived about a mile from us playing and tuning up the, their Melodians and rattling into beautiful music. They were, they were excellent musicians. The two played together regularly, both indoors and out of doors, but there's something special about music that drifts on the air on, on a summer's day to one in the distance. And I think it's extra nice a little bit away from it. This was lovely to hear, and we knew, we lived close to them, we knew exactly where they'd be sitting. They'd be sitting at the gate, playing together, and it was beautiful to hear them stopping and starting off again at the start of the music, tuning up together and getting going again into, into another burst of reels. The open space has always meant a lot for me, one of the reasons that I came back to Connemara. But I think I have a lot to be thankful for, and I do thank God for the, the people I knew when I was growing up. Both both my parents, who were both cheerful and hearty and happy, and uh, who hadn't a lot of the riches of the world, but had enough to keep going and were satisfied with what they had, and had an awful lot of joy in their lives and uh, uh, loyalty, of course, to each other, and uh, the, the same was true of the neighbours among them. And there was a great closeness, great close contact, and uh, frequent visiting at night. They, they, I talked about the things they shared. They shared a mihalo hair with one another. They shared the radio, the old battery radio. People gathered in. Maybe there was only one in the village at that time in the beginning, before radios became common. Those things, those things remain in one's mind. When I was teaching in the Navan Road, <coughs> they, they were doing a play. The children were doing a play, a Christmas concert. And it happened that it was shortly after my father's sudden death. He died of a heart ailment, suddenly. But uh, he had at that time, he'd reached about the age of 70 and had lived a very good and healthy life. And even though it was a terrible shock, uh, it was it was better than to, to find him slackening and fading away and being confined to inside life of, of any kind. He was a farmer, an outgoing man, and uh, just loved loved the world, loved life, loved being out. And the only time he was indoors was on a wet day. If uh, it was too wet to work outside, he'd, he'd be inside then and he'd, he'd be reading or doing something. Before Christmas, the school was um, running a concert just for the children and for the, the teachers. We were all gathered in the hall. One class, I think there would be about fifth class, were performing a mummer's play. They were doing the Ren Boys, as, as we called them in Mayo. And they came and... Uh, rhymed off their, their various well-known rhymes and then they began to dance a set. And I, I was very touched by the thing, very, very moved because it brought an awful lot of the life that I had known and the way of life that I had known in the west of Ireland back to me. And it was very striking, the innocence of them. They were very young, about 10, I suppose. Some of them maybe even younger than that. The girls were, it was a girls' school and the girls were doing the boys' part. Uh, they were dancing as men. Maria, 
the girls were dressed up as men and the other girls were dressed as women. And I was very struck by the innocence of it. The girls with their hands around the other girls' waists, dancing around in the set, keeping the time to the music. And I, just as, as I sat among them, there'd be about 800 girls in the hall watching the performance and the others were on stage, uh, just giving us a, a flash, really, of life as it had been and as I had known it. And um, as I sat there, I just thought of my mother so far away from those 800. She was dying of cancer at the time, and it was very close to my father's death. She survived him only by a year. And uh, she didn't survive him in health, really, for any length of time, because she became ill. The ailment hit her very, very shortly after my father's death, unfortunately. And I was thinking of her at home in the west of Ireland, so far away from, from the noisy hall of the excited children and this performance that meant so so much to all in the school. And she was away in, in a quiet house and in her own room, curtained off and darkened off, I would say. I, I was just thinking of her there and uh, laden with disease, waiting, literally waiting to die. And this this set dance on the stage and, and, and the Wren boys brought brought the whole life. But I'd say my father and mother had probably met at a set dance session maybe as he played, or very, very likely that's how they had first met. It just brought all of their life before me. It seemed to move before me on the stage completely. Well, I arrived at the school at about nine in the morning, a little before times, and uh, put on the heat. We haven't a caretaker in the school, so I do that job. Open up and uh, get the roll books ready, take them into the classrooms to the other teachers. And when school time comes around, I, I let the children in. The teachers arrive then and uh, take over for the day. We greet each other just inside the doorway, and they go into their classes and teach for the day. And we meet again during the breaks. I supervise the children in the yard at all breaks because I like to have some contact with the children and because I like to be out in the fresh air and out from the empty classroom as well. Uh, the rest of the time is spent registering the number present in school and uh, giving directions to the children if need arises or if forms come that have to be filled, general instructions to the children maybe on safety or something like that, or if there's something special happening that I feel I ought to talk to them about, I go into the classrooms and uh, spend a while with the children. I like that contact with them. And the rest of the day then is, is up, up to me to fill in its time on my own hands. I fill it in by writing and reading mainly. Uh, a lot of people are in touch with me. I have a support committee that are working for me in Dublin and uh, I'm in constant contact with them, in contact with the INTO, in contact with the Department of Education from time to time. And uh, with the various people that are offering me help, sometimes people travel long distances to visit me, to see can they do anything to help. And following visits like that, I always write back. Uh, those kind of things uh, take time and in spare time then I read literature and history mainly. Yeah. Uh, all kinds of poetry, all kinds of poetry, anything that I haven't yet uh, come across, any, any kind of poetry I lay hands on, I, I enjoy reading that. I enjoy reading anything about uh, nature. The, the surroundings that, that we are now in, and in the area that I live in, in Bonagnock, there, there's an awful lot of stimulation for the mind, just from the topography alone. The hills around us, the Banabiola and the Mam Turks, are, according to environmentalists and geologists, 360 million years old. 
The hills were formed in the Caledonian era and the rock is quartzite, which is uh, crystallised sandstone. Even before that 360 million years, there was already rock there. Uh, that type of thing is, is, gives one a massive time scale to think about when you look out your window and see, see that landscape all around you. Um, even, even to look at the hills, they go the I think, in fairness, there have been a number of personality clashes and local uh, clashes which you will get in a small rural area, the sort of area which we've described as recess is. Now, uh, the point being made about the Irish language being uh, the, the root cause of the dispute is true possibly to some extent, but I certainly wouldn't overestimate it. I think that certain people being strongly in favour, whatever exactly that, does, that means, uh, of the Irish language and its promotion, and other people being strongly against the Irish language and its use is not really the true scenario. I believe that this dispute um, has um, grown to an extent that people in the area would never have expected uh, in the initial stages of the um, various debates about Irish masses, Irish being taught in the school and that sort of thing. And I think it went out of control to um, a very consider considerable degree because it may not have been handled as well as it could have been handled by different people uh, and I think it's rather difficult to pinpoint an exact reason or to blame somebody. I think a lot of people possibly could take some blame about the, uh, about the situation reaching the, the crisis point which it has now reached and I think um, the matter of the language itself uh, is only another part of it. It's a matter of a big local clash um, about a, a big issue with a lot of people, an issue not so big with other people, and it's having got, got, got much bigger than it might have seemed at the beginning. The school manager and the local curate have done everything possible to cooperate with me in the search for reconciliation since I became bishop in this diocese. Everything possible to work with me towards reconciliation and towards the solution of this dispute. I have found them very, very cooperative. The, the Irish Mass is out of the way. It has been out of the way for several months, and yet when I went there the other night to talk to the parents, there was still a problem. And I found that they were united, or seemed to me certainly to be united, in their determination not to send back their children to Bridgenigonel's classroom, even though I did talk to them about the importance of um, bringing their faith to bear, on the situation and taking their faith into account and the importance of reconciliation and unity and cooperation within the parish that the kind of situation that obtains there is a countersign a countersign to community and a countersign to Christianity but obviously they are very concerned about their children and they would feel that they are taking the Christian considerations into mind and that the paramount consideration for them has to be their children so they're, they're doing it out of the conviction that they're doing the best thing for their children. That's their conviction. I wish indeed that Solomon hadn't died. He'd be very useful because it's not easy to find a solution. But I, I'll continue to work with everybody concerned, with all the interests concerned, to try and find a solution. 
because whatever the merits of the argument, as I said, you know, the present situation is a countersign to community, and I would like to try and resolve it or to make my contribution anyway. Uh, the most complaint I have is that a uh, third teacher was appointed there. I think that it's, it's totally against union principles to have another member of the union carrying out my work in the school, teaching, doing the teaching duties at least. I am principal teacher there. But the fact that she was appointed there, cop professant, the boycott as far as I was concerned. They can bypass me, they have a teacher alternative to me. And as long as they have, and as long as she's paid, it costs them nothing. So they can all send the children in. And I can understand the, the people who would like their children to be in my class, but they don't want to separate them from their friends. That causes divisions, and uh, the area is so sparsely populated that the few children that are in it would need to be all friendly with each other. And it's bad to divide a class. I don't think a class should be divided. From the outset, our, the, the, the attitude of the INTO was this, that... Uh, that we wanted to protect the jobs of all the teachers in the school. We were also grievously concerned that a, an unqualified teacher had been brought into the school and that the children who would normally be taught by Breedney Gonel were, the, uh, were put into a room and being taught by an unqualified teacher. Well, of course, we also wanted uh, from the outset to, to resolve the problem and simply have recess school operating as it should operate with two full-time teachers in it. So we, 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 we have tried from the very start to try and, 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 and resolve the problem. We, it did come to the point where the unqualified teacher last year was uh, uh, put out of the school and a third teacher was appointed on a temporary capacity. And that has at least done one thing. It has now brought the school back uh, under the to under the rules and of the Department of Education, so that now the school has been managed and be run being run as per the rules of the Department of Education, the rules that the department set down for national schools. Well, as far as I'm concerned, um, I'm not involved in the controversy, or I don't intend to get involved. But my role is to come in at nine o'clock, start teaching at half past nine, and finish at three. Teach the children to the best of my ability. Um, I attend every day. I teach Irish up to eleven. I use. Um, Conchnevermule in the class all the time, and that's the same as any other teacher in any other school is using. And um, as far as I'm concerned, this is just a job. I'm a teacher myself, uh, and a union representative. It is the function of the Department of Education to judge as to whether I continue to be competent or not to do my teaching job. And that is the situation with regard to Breedney Gone and with the ever, every other teacher in this country. It is not part of my role as an executive member of the INTO to make judgments on the competence of teachers. That's an area uh, which, is, which is covered by the Department of Education. So therefore, I cannot be in the business of offering views as to the competence of the members uh, of the members of my union, the INTO. Naturally, one, one cannot uh, go beyond the um, document which is available and which has been publicly noted from the Department of Education about Bidney's ability and proficiency as a teacher they have said, uh, and they've given their official stamp, that she is well able to do her job. Now, there have been a discussion and insinuation and um, others matter, other matters uh, uh, talked about, about the actual standards of teaching and that sort of thing in the recess school. Yeah. But again, in rural areas, I think that a number of people at times uh, who are possibly more articulate than other people can have... Um, 
uh, varying on on situations uh, that that is um, more significant than their numbers which w would suggest. But uh, I do believe also that um, uh, suggestions would be made that people would be breaking away from the solidity uh, of the parents if uh, they allowed their children to go back to school. Two parents did at one stage and the children were again withdrawn because there were suggestions that the, the pupils were taunted at school and um, that it was unbearable for them to continue as they were and that pressure was brought to bear upon them. Um, so, so again, uh, while it is very significant that all the parents would be so solidly moulded Again, I think one has to assess the other factor of, um, you know, pressure being brought to bear in a small community. Jean Newland is a person who believes very much in, in the Irish language, in its promotion and uh, in its preservation. Uh, and uh, she's also uh, very much aware of our Irish heritage. Um, She's a person who very honestly be believes that uh, we have a, a great duty to promote the language and that it would be a tremendous disaster, you know, if the language were allowed to die in areas such as recess. Uh, I think uh, her viewpoints, you know, don't go down that well with, with other people. I, I think um, uh, that a lot of people feel that she pushes it too strongly. And in fairness, a lot of people don't just don't make a big issue of languages. They speak either Irish, English, whatever the hell it is, and it's not a big issue with them. Uh, I think possibly that she has underestimated that simple practical fact that a lot of people do, don't find these sort of things big issues. They want their pupils to, or their children to, have a good education which will uh, prepare them for life, possibly and probably overseas, as happens in rural areas like recess. And um, I would honestly feel, with all respect to Breed, that possibly uh, had other methods, if you like, been used, had, had uh, a more diplomatic sort of situation arisen between pupils' management, uh, between, sorry, parents' management and teachers, that the situation mightn't now be at the crisis point at which it is. I went to recess in the spring of 87 to meet the parents. All except two sets of parents were united in their opposition to Breed Nicónal. It was clear from talking to them that no matter what their reasons, there was no way they would budge or change their minds on the question of Breed teaching their children. At this stage, I felt that the matter had got personal. They were very angry and very determined. Well, I personally, I did in the beginning, really. I really felt sorry for but uh, at the moment. <laughs> I find it very hard to feel sorry for her because she's put us through a lot of hardship and she's really um, ran down our children on paper and on television and everything, you know. But on the other hand, she is a qualified teacher. She is legally appointed. She's been inspected more than probably any other uh, teacher in the country. The department inspectors have found her to be a good teacher. And yet, because of your actions, you're threatening her livelihood. Well, we're not disputing the fact that she's not well-educated and capable of teaching. But, um, I mean, obviously there's something wrong when she cannot get it across to the children. But, Marion, we just want to say that it is really for our children we're doing this and not for priests or Father Charles or Father O'Gorman, as she seems to make out, you know. But it's definitely for our children that we are going through all this hardship. As you know, that all, a lot of the parents are unemployed in recess and they're finding, making a great sacrifice to pay... Uh, a private teacher 
and that is definitely for our children we're doing. I think we have different cultural values. I'm sorry to say that I wish it weren't so because then there'd be greater harmony in the place. We wouldn't have such trouble over teaching the Irish in the past. The problem that arose in 1982 uh, came about because of a different sense of values. That was that they wanted to put a stop to teaching the Irish in the school. And that was basically a different sense of values. If you try to stop teaching through the medium of Irish, where I am, you are saying really that you don't want the children to, to have the language, to have mastery of the language, because it's obvious that children leave in the national schools in this country, apart from the school in and the school in the ordinary national school, Tipperary, Leitrim, and throughout the country, the children can't communicate in Irish. They can't even answer simple questions in Irish when they are leaving school at the age of 11 or 12, having finished in sixth class. And that's what will happen in recess if, and would have happened if the children were taught Irish as a separate subject only. They'd be leaving school without command of the language. It's all it's a question of money. They'll, they'll love the Irish, but... Uh... It's a question of each teaching it, I don't know, <laughs> something else. I'm living alone in Connemara, and uh, I lived in, in, alone in Dublin while I was studying in Dublin. I thought it was important to, to have a quiet house while doing a university course, a degree course. You needed a lot of time to study. And uh, yes, it so happened, and I was happy like that. Quite happy, happy in the present situation as well. But I have a lot of contact with people and I like to have friends and set out to have friends and keep friends that I have. I think uh, friendship is very important in life. Indeed, companionship is very important in life. Uh, the friends that I have and have known are, are very precious to me. I may say they have adorned my life. I value them greatly and I like to have contact with them. And with my own family, I like to come home a lot and uh, I spend a lot of my holidays at home, summer holidays and Christmas and Easter and so on. I like to have contact with the ten acres where, where I was reared, with the land, the lie of the land and the family. And there are young children now in my brother's house and I like to be with them and in some way part of family life for a short time. Uh, really, I, I was happy single, and I am, but I never drew a circle about life and said, it must be this way, and it's within this circle I'm going to live it, and, and I must have this, this, and this. I just think life is far too vast and too great for that to confine mm. to any type of circle, and I, I leave it wide open, and I just take it as it comes and accept it as I accept the weather and try try to find happiness. And I would like to think, married or single, I was thought on bejar on. I always say that about it, that just leave it open, let on thaw bejar be on. Maybe I would, maybe I wouldn't. Depends. Everything depends on, on who you meet in life anyway. That I would like at all times, whether married or single, not to be aloof from the rest of mankind. It's terribly difficult, it's extremely difficult to resolve this situation now. Um, I think it would take an enormous community effort and the community do feel somewhat beleaguered and they feel set upon, I think, by the press and by different people uh, because of the stand they've taken. I think it will take an enormous effort by the community itself and uh, tremendous leadership from people like the, the board of management, the school manager, the, uh, the archbishop, uh, to even uh, ar arrive at a situation where you will see um, uh, the end of the dispute in sight. And you have to always remember as well uh, that one of the really very, very big problems, quite apart from that, for recess is that the number of pupils are actually dropping anyhow and that the population is dropping as it is in many rural west of Ireland parishes and I think you have that problem uh, juxtaposed w with the other dispute in the school. 
Well, I think that the parents, um, you see, the, the whole thing has had an effect on the community. It has created a certain amount of tension within the community. It has caused an awful lot of anxiety to people. It has put recess in the spotlight, in the glare of publicity. It has caused resentment, certainly, among the parents against sections of the media. Uh, because they feel that sections of the media are interested uh, not so much in a solution as in a saga, that they're more interested in a saga than in a solution. I was only interested in looking towards the future and, as I say, in finding out if any of them would be prepared to consider sending their children to Brigianigonal. That would break the deadlock, that would break the boycott, it would be movement, it would make for unity and reconciliation and peace. And uh, although they were very gracious, as I say, and very courteous. They seem to me to be united and adamant in their determination not to do that. The day is long and it's very lonely and uh, I've gone through two winters of it. Now when I set out in the morning at about half past eight for school there are very few of the farmers in the Bonnebrook area up and out of cattle and in the lashing rain, which is usually raining there. They're seldom attending to cattle so early in the morning. Now the area is very sparsely populated and most of the children that I teach go home to houses and families where they don't see any other children, only their own family, until they arrive in in school again. And when I leave here in the evening in winter, it's usually dark by the time I set out for for home and travel along the road uphill to Bonagnock, and the people have gone in again in the winter in November and December. Their work day is over at the time that I arrive there. So that it's, it's a very lonely life. It's an isolated position. The reason I don't find this demoralising is that I'm upholding justice and I think it takes a good person to defend justice and people's rights. And I think all the teachers of the country owe a lot to me because they could tomorrow be in the very same position. They could be recessed. I have been recessed. That is to say, I have been pushed aside and uh, in the first place, a non-official person, a non-official teacher was put in in my place against all rules and regulations of the Department of Education. Later on, an official teacher was put in my place. I have been recessed. Now, any other teacher in Ireland can become recessed as well. The same thing can happen. They're all in, jeopar- in jeopardy. They're all in danger. They can for, for no reason at all. No reason need to be given. Or a reason may be stated. The children can be withdrawn from school at any time. And if the parents in recess succeed in driving me out of this school, other teachers can be driven out of their schools. I would like to see it resolved. I'd like to do my best to contribute towards a resolution. I don't know exactly. I'd have to take that as it comes. Uh, Obviously, I have to try and work with the other interests involved, with the INTO, with the department, with the parents, with the teachers, uh, to try and find a resolution. It won't be easy. It won't be easy. I'm not all that hopeful that we can find a solution in the short term. Maybe we can. We have to continue to live in hope. I think it would be more long-term than anything else. That's my feeling now. But perhaps I've been unduly pessimistic. school was a happy place, as long as you worked and as long as you did what was expected of you and was fair. So it, it, it struck me in school. I think it was a day we were doing an English poem, the teachers were doing a poem with us that I felt, well, if I were out there in the teacher's place, I wonder would I be able to get this across in a way that the children would enjoy. It wouldn't be nice to be doing that 
and to have work like this going through poetry, I loved poetry, always, always did and, and still do. I think it was the day, I remember learning the poem, I will go with my father to plough to the green fields by the sea and the rooks and the gulls and the seagulls will come flocking after me. I will sing to the patient horses with the lark in the clear of the air and my father will sing the plough song blesses the cleaving share. Now I had been with my father around about on the land and he was always singing in those days and uh, he ploughed a bit too. There, there was more tillage done in, in the parts of Mayo that I grew up in than is done at present in Connemara where I live and uh, the little bit of ploughing on, on the small farm and the, the turning of the sod in spring was, was lovely out with the horses and that poem meant an awful lot to me and uh, I just thought it was grand to be doing something in class uh, for one's work that, that was so enjoyable that had been part of your experience but it wasn't for that or for, for what money I could get out of it that, that brought me into teaching it was what influence I could have on, on people's minds and uh, the enjoyment that I could get out of uh, uh, character training really and uh, academic work in school with, with children and transmitting to them things of cultural value mm-hmm.